Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. And so I tell people all the time, I work in the one business. When things go on sale, nobody shows up to buy. (laughs) When the market drops and stocks and bonds, you know, are on sale, nobody shows up to buy, right? (laughs) Because they think the world is ending. They think that, oh no, you know, it's gonna hit rock bottom. It's 1934, 1929 all over again, right? Everybody's mind goes to, you know, the most recent bad experience that they may have had with the market. Most of them no experience. So if you have no experience and you fall back on your parents' bad experiences. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. Lewis, my man, Lewis Taylor. He's a good buddy of mine. I've known Lewis, man, for I think since I moved here into Portland. But, you know, he was a, a dude, man, who's um, down to earth. Loves playing golf, um, you know, good family man. Uh, he used to be able to hoop before he broke his knee, and now he got a new, he got a, he got a knee replacement. So uh, <laughs> we're not going to be hooping a whole bunch, maybe playing some horse. But, uh, you know, he's always, a, you know, uh, I like to learn things from different people, different uh, areas or expert, expertise. And Lewis, you know, he's in the financial world. But he's he's different. Like normally, like even my 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 financial advisor, 
hopefully he's not listening, but you know, he's kind of, he's not, you know, look kind of square kind of, you know, you know, you know, I, I understand that, but, um, but Lewis kind of has a different spin on it. I've never met anybody in his world that is cool as he is <laughs> to be honest, but um, I wanted to bring him on and shed some light on uh, personal finance. And he likes to, from, from listening to him, you know, he breaks things down and makes it simple. And I like being around people that can make complicated topics simple. And he can do that for you. So my man, Lewis, AKA Chopper, welcome to the Shark Effect. Hey, thanks for having me, Milk. I'm, I've been <laughs> waiting to uh, aspire to be good enough to get on this show. And, you know, I feel like I've arrived today. I feel like I've arrived. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for having me and uh, i'm excited to be a part of your journey man Thanks. that's good stuff good stuff what well, hey i want to just jump right in man um uh you know we've had conversations in the past and i and i love listening to people you know they come up right and yeah. so with you you play college football and from that you uh kind of i mean you started down this path of finance and i just want to i want people to kind of hear your story and how that all got started we all have a story of how we got started some you know kind of went one way and then something happened significant and it kind of changed their path for some of us but i want i want you to kind of tell a little bit about your story man you know uh you hit the nail on the head i was a first generation college student um there was only, you know, one other person in my family, which was a cousin that lived with me that had actually gone to a four year institution. And so when I got to college, you know, I was really kind of a deer in headlights. Um, never, never pictured myself in college. I just happened to be a good athlete and uh, sports led me to a world that was beyond this little small, you know, community that I grew up in, in Northeast Portland. So um, when I got to college, uh, like a lot of people, you know, I was just excited to be on campus, excited to have some independence, uh, but I really didn't know how to be a college student. So, um, so that was a learning curve for me. And through that learning curve, it led me down a path of wanting to be a business person. And so I majored in business, international business at that. And I was a minor in actually Spanish. So I used to be fluent Spanish. Um, I took yo, I, yo, S. Espe, yo, espe, English? I don't, I don't know. What the hell I'm talking about. Is muy bueno. All I remember, all I remember, all I remember is siéntate and levántate and leche. Get up. That's right. Get up. So, uh, yeah. So I always thought that, you know, being an international business major, being a minor in Spanish, I always thought that I would, you know, be this international business guy. I went to Guadalajara uh, after college and. Uh, studied abroad for a short period. And I ended up getting sick and coming back early. But, you know, in my mind, as a, a young student, you know, I thought I'd work in international business and I studied the language of love and I'd go off and marry me a beautiful Hispanic lady. That's, you know, <laughs> that's what I thought. You know, I didn't, you know, that's not what happened. You know, I, <laughs> that's what I, you I married another beautiful lady, but that, there you go. Um, so in college though, I had one professor in, um, it's funny because he wasn't a stock market professor. He was a, his name was Dr. Um, or excuse me, Professor Burrell. And he was a real estate guy. 
And, you know, I was taking all the basic classes, you know, accounting and, you know, economics and all those different things, but none of that stuff was making me feel like um, I wanted to be a part of the investment world. It wasn't until I had that real estate class that I understood um, what it meant to have an asset. You know, my mind didn't work that way. And this particular professor had a portfolio of properties all across the country, a lot of them in New Mexico. And he explained why he had that. And so a light bulb went off um, as far as starting to think more down in the investment realm versus where I had been going, which was international business in Spanish. So I picked up a love of finance and started taking more financial classes. Now, none of them taught me about what it is that I do as a profession today. It gave me some, some general knowledge of what a stock was or what a bond was. But at that time, I still wasn't interested in stocks and bonds. I was really still primarily interested in real estate because of this professor. Well, uh, fast forward, I ended up graduating college um, and I interviewed with two companies coming out of college. One was a company that was, um, was an aerospace kind of uh, engineering slash recruitment company. They recruited people in that, that atmosphere and they offered me a job at about 40 grand a year, which back in, you know, 1998, you know, 97, 98, that was a good wage, you know, mm. coming out of college. And so okay. I had that and, you know, then it had a commission structure to it. And so I had that kind of just tabled. And then I went and I interviewed with a small boutique Wall Street based firm in Beaverton. And so uh, I went out there, <laughs> I went through the interview process. They sold me on potential. How, uh, how nerve wracking was that interview process? You know, or was it, was it nerve wracking? You know, the interview process was not so much nerve wracking because it was them trying to sell you on their company and why somebody with my background would excel in that type of environment, being that I was a captain of the football team. I was an All-American, so I understood team spirit. I understood um, what it meant to, you know, put your head down and keep grinding. You know, and in football, you know, the grind is for real. You got to keep your head down. You got to keep at it, right? And so they sold me on the potential that I could make a hundred grand if I just stuck with this business, which was the investment business for two years. Now it was a hundred percent commission. hundred percent. hundred percent commission. If no guarantee. If you don't, if you don't work, <laughs> and, I, and not even work, if you don't sell, you don't eat. <laughs> True. You eat what you kill. Okay. And, and that was the mentality of the firm. And that was the mentality of the story. Now, me being a rah-rah guy, you know, I had been killing people on the field and eating well from the football field. So I just thought that I could just carry this same mentality over into my professional life. Um, and so, you know, and I had been broke my whole life, you know, plus, you know, four years and a couple terms through college. I'd never had any money. So it wasn't like two more years of having no money was going to be that big of a sacrifice. Got it. You know, I knew how to live on nothing. I didn't come from nothing. So what's a couple more years of nothing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that, that, that was literally how I thought about it. Um, so I took the job. I took the job and 
you know, I got into this in this business and I was trained on, you know, on this business with a New York mentality. Everybody was from back east. They'd fly out and they'd train you. You had to wear a suit and a white shirt and shine shoes and a tie every single day. Did you have that at the beginning? No. What I How did, you did get have, <laughs> what I did have was about a $500 limit credit card okay. that I was able to go piecemeal some stuff together, right? That's and what's up, okay. I just, you know, men's warehouse, uh, catch you a little sale, you know, Macy's, get you a, fit, a, a suit that's not quite fitted, but, okay. <laughs> you know, you could, enough to, so that you could fake it until you make it. All right. Right? And so... I, I subscribe to the fake it till you make it mentality. And so I got enough clothes to where I could rotate my shirt. You know, I had a couple pair of slacks that I could rotate. And then I just bobbed and weaved between slacks and shirts until, you know, until I made some money where I could get a little bit more in the wardrobe, right? So, but first and foremost, I had to get some damn reliable transportation. Okay, <laughs> so, you know, break so, it down. <laughs> I'm cut, you know, you're coming out of college, and, you know, I, I had a gas guzzler. I didn't have, you know, something that would be uh, conducive to driving around a lot and trying to make a living and trying to solicit people to let me manage their life savings. Okay. Mm. <laughs> so, um, so I got myself some reliable transportation. Um, I got, you know, uh, a few pieces of clothing and I started my career like that. And let me tell you, Milk, that first year in the business, I went so far in debt <laughs> that you can't even believe. I think I ended up running up about $28,000 in debt on credit cards mm. and in, on credit cards and in draws from the company. Because you got to remember, it was commission only. So the only way that you could get a draw, which was debt, in that they would give you a little bit of money so that you could stay afloat to pay your Me Too bills was that you had to have 10 appointments before you could check out on Friday. And if you didn't have 10 appointments on Friday, you had to come in on Saturday and make calls. So you know, your weekend was spent if you didn't have enough activity. So 10 appointments like like for the week or for the day? For the, for the week. For the week, okay. You had you to know. have 10 people that you were going to go see that week in order to go home on Friday and not have to come in on Saturday and make calls. So I was, you know, I was dialing for dollars. I was making a hundred to 200 calls a day. Depending. And these are cold, cold calls. Yeah. Because remember, you know, I grew up no money. I was a section eight kid, uh, welfare, government cheese. Uh, I lived in the pro little small projects in Portland called the Piedmont Plaza. And, you know, I didn't have anybody I could call on. I didn't have family that had money. I didn't have friends that came from money. You know, all my friends came from where I came from, you know, except my new friends and teammates and things that I developed in college. So I literally, milk. I'm not playing. I grabbed the white pages and I would cross-reference the wealthiest neighborhoods in Portland. Okay, so, so hold on, hold on, hold on. So, so, you, so you started with, uh, you got to have a plan. You can't just be, I was thinking like you just going like A, B, C. No, you cross-reference. No. Cross-reference. I want my listeners to pick this up. 
having a plan, no matter where you are, what you're doing, having a plan. And, okay, and, and I did, I had a plan and, you know, I, I didn't voice it to a lot of people because I thought I was doing something innovative. I wasn't right. <laughs> I just decided that I'm going to call the wealthiest community in the city of Portland. So I picked up the white pages. Okay. And back then, you know, the white pages were still relevant. You could, you know, you could go to Vista. So I went to Northwest Vista, Southwest Vista, all that whole Southwest Portland area where all the wealth was, old Portland money. And I started cold calling people down the Vista Avenue blocks. Mm. And my mentality was, well, if I'm gonna strike out and I'm gonna have people hang up on me all night, which is virtually what you sign up to do, okay? Call people on Monday night football and get hung up on. That's what I was doing. Okay. Interrupting people's dinners, getting hung up on, right? So because you I, have to call after five because because that's when people got back from work. Correct. Okay. So you're catching people at the worst time. They're in transition. They're trying to prepare dinner. They're probably helping their children with homework, depending on their age group. Right. And you're calling them on a Monday. It's also Monday night football. Got it. OK, so it is the worst time to make phone calls. But you got to set your week up. Right. So, yeah. you know, you got and that starts on Monday. So I would call and I would strike out, but every now and again, I would land an appointment. And what I would do when I got an appointment is I would ask those people because I was new, if in fact, if they had a positive experience and they liked what I had to say, would it be okay if I mentioned that I was working with them to their neighbors? So now the call to the next door neighbor, which was still ice cold, but I had a name to drop. So, so relationships. Yes. So even if it's for like that, that, that long. <laughs> right. And you, and you asked them. Yes. You, I asked politely and the worst they could say was no. Right. Um, but in sales, sales is just a series of no's leading to a yes. That's mm -hmm. all it is. And the no's help you sharpen your iron. So I was okay with getting turned down. I was okay with getting hung up on because I was just sharpening my iron, right? And so then I had to tweak my plan to say, how can I get this gentleman or this lady to stay on the phone long enough to understand that I really have something important to say? And although I'm calling you cold, I really have a service that you would benefit from, right? And so... I had to build up enough confidence to where I could deliver that message with confidence and make someone feel confident in inviting me a perfect stranger <laughs> into their home to talk about what I would say is one of the most uncomfortable conversations to have with anyone is money. Money. So how did you build up that confidence? You know what? I'd have to say, you know, I was just too, you know, too dumb to fail. You know, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I think being naive was a benefit because, you know, they told me that if I ran my head into this wall for two years, eventually I would break that wall down. So I conditioned myself to get used to running into the wall and the wall not really budging. And so every time I got hung up on, that was just one more rep. Okay. 
The next one, I just kept chipping away at it, kept chipping away at it. And then it took one appointment. And then one appointment led to two. And then what I made sure that I did is I didn't take any appointment for granted. I always came prepared. I always came prepared for the objections that were going to come, right? Because this is sales. People, you don't walk in, they say, oh, here's my life savings, right? Yeah. You're going to face more objections than you can ever imagine. So through my preparation for these appointments, I would qualify these people on the phone. I would ask leading questions that would get me to a place where I could prepare myself for the meeting if, in fact, they didn't cancel on me. <laughs> gotcha. Because about 40% of your appointments cancel and you never get them back. So, so you was already prepping yourself for not just the success, it was more of the failure. Correct. You had to know that 40% of your, your appointments that you scheduled were going to cancel. And of the remaining six, right, 30% of those six are always going to buy. 30% of those remaining six are never going to buy. And then you've got 40% in the middle that you got to fight for. Okay. So I always prepared myself for the 40% fight. I knew I was going to get three, you know, or 30% of people to buy. I knew that I was going to lose 40% of my appointments. And I knew that 30% of people were never going to buy. So I had to be prepared to get as much of that 40% that was remaining in my pocket. I had to get them. And that became, you know, and that came with a plan that came with preparation and that came with, you know, really over preparing I mean, because, you know, I would have 10 things in my bag that I didn't need, but it's better to have and not need than to need and not have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's how I looked at, looked at, you know, getting started in this, but you know what, my first year in the business, I say all of this, I was working 80 hour weeks, 70 to 80 hour weeks, and I made 36 hundred dollars hold on yeah yes for for the year or for the for month the, no for the year i made three thousand six hundred plus dollars and some change good lord and you know my girlfriend at the time was like what in the hell <laughs> are you doing right and yeah. that, and that is how i ran up $28,000 in debt, right? Gotcha. So, you know, so that's how I got started in the business. Now you would have thought that after a year like that, that I would have quit, <laughs> right? But I, like I said, I said, I would give it two years and that's what I committed to. Okay. I committed to two years. Of his commi I, commitment. I committed to two years. The next year I made $40,000, a little over 40,000. Okay. And that was That's a big jump now. That was a big jump. And I that, don't know math, but I don't know what <laughs> I ain't gonna throw out no percentages. <laughs> but I, let me just say it was pretty dang on big. Right. Okay. And with that, I was able to get a better wardrobe. I was able to pay down some of my debt because you know, all of my student loans that I had on top of all my scholarship stuff, I had a little bit in student loans. I just put those in deferment. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had that kind of lingering and, and accumulating interest on me. So I had to get a wardrobe. I got a better car and I paid down some of my debt going into my third year. And in my third year, I made uh, over $60,000. Okay. I, I think I made 68,000. The next year after that, I made just under 80. 
right? Okay. So it wasn't until my fifth year that I made over a hundred thousand dollars. Well, what the hell took you so long, man? They they, they told you two years you'd be making a hundred, right? What you know what though? I'm glad I didn't make a hundred in two years. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad it didn't I'm glad it didn't uh, happen that way because what it made me realize is that um, I had to continuously keep my game sharp, you know, because I was only a few sales of way, you know, if you lose a few sales, it's the difference between your income going forward or completely backwards, right? This stuff yeah. isn't guaranteed. So, you know, I, I, I always lived my life uh, at that time, you know, and I graduated college 21, no, 20, did I graduate college 20? No, I was 21 with the extra term. Um, you know, I was a 17 year old college student, so I graduated young, but, yeah. um, you know, I just always had, you know, a fear of, I never wanted to go backwards. And if, and if you would have had success too quickly, I might've taken it for granted. Gotcha. You know, and so I never, I never took it for granted. I never had that opportunity because I'd worked so hard just to make a wage that I wasn't going to, you know, let that go backwards. I wasn't going to let it happen. So that's how I got started in the business. So just took an interview, went on a whim and was just too dumb to quit. I, I never quit anything in my life. So yeah. I wasn't going to quit this. And I just stuck with it. And our business has a 90% fail rate. Nine out of 10 people fail in this business. So many people who jump in this, yeah. If so, nine nine of them out of ten is going to be working something else. They ain't going to finance. <laughs> it, they're going to be doing something different. Something else, and that something else usually means leaving the industry as a whole. Okay. And or you know, if you can't make it in in the in the brokerage world, you end up at the bank. So some people end up going to the banks. The bank route is a little easier. You know, you got customers coming in all the time. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in the brokerage world, you spend your whole life fishing. You know, you just you fish. Hunt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you throw on out drift nets. Usually you get a few boots, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> a couple, you know, a couple bluegills. <laughs> you know, it ain't usually no salmon in that net, you know, crappies <laughs> and bluegills. <laughs> so, so let me ask you, what was the, uh, what was that one thing that really helped you go from year one to like your year five? What was it? It was, it literally was my referral base. And it was, I always asked people um, because I knew I overworked, right? And I knew that I was uh, delivering more than what was expected from me, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just constantly over-delivered and I over-delivered and I over-delivered. So when I asked for a referral, I typically got anywhere from six to, to eight referrals. And those were six people that my clients, you know, cause these are all new clients, would reach out to ahead of time and let them know that I was gonna be giving them a call and just exactly what we had covered on our meetings and what they could kind of expect from me, you know? And so, you know, when those calls became warm, oh, I had already made, you know, I bet I'd already, in, in the course of a year, I bet I made 10,000 calls. I'd already made 10,000 calls. So when the warm call came, 
it was just like you and me talking, you know, and people didn't feel like they were being sold on anything. It just became more of, and I treated it more of a matter of fact, I'm going to be coming to your home, right? It became mm-hmm. assumed that I was coming to your home and that we were going to do business. It was no longer, um, I'm trying to guess, are we going to do business or not? Right? Yeah. And when that confidence set in, the sky was the limit because now I felt like I belonged in the industry, you mm-hmm. know? And I felt like my knowledge had gotten to a level that I could speak with confidence and I could provide a sense of security for people uh, through my words. And that's what you're looking for with your finances is a sense of security. Now I had to back that up with performance though, right? Yeah. But through my words, I, I provided a sense of security that made people feel like they wanted to do business with me. And I never took that for granted. Got it. Love it. So what's your approach, you know, when it comes to, you know, helping, let's say that, let's 25 year old, this 25 year old, 26 year old college uh, graduate. Yep. And they finally, you know, they kind of, they're getting in their career, they're starting and they're starting to have some, you know, some extra money. Mm-hmm. What is, what is your approach when it comes to, does it change from that person to let's say somebody who's 50? You, you know, it does change. It does change. But what is always the same, what is a constant in the investment world is that you have to save. And by nature, especially in our country, by nature, people are very bad savers. People hate to save money. And so I tell people all the time, I work in the one business. When things go on sale, nobody shows up to buy. (laughs) When the market drops and stocks and bonds, you know, are on sale, nobody shows up to buy, (laughs) right? Because they think the world is ending. They think that, oh no, you know, it's going to hit rock bottom. It's 1934, 1929 all over again, right? Everybody's mind goes to, you know, the most recent bad experience that they may have had with the market. Most of them no experience. So if you have no experience and you fall back on your parents' bad experiences, right? Mm -hmm. Or your friends' bad experiences. And so it's, it's a, um, you know, it, there's kind of this feeling of whatever it was the most recent bad experience you had, that's where your brain goes. And that's true in, in really all facets of life. Like the safest way to travel is by plane, statistically, yeah. right? Yeah. You are safer on a plane than you are starting your car every day. That is a fact, okay? But if one plane crashes, no one wants to fly they're like, well, I ain't getting on no plane, right? Mm-mm. Ooh, yeah. Not me, right? Because they think that the soon, as soon as they feel turbulence, oh no, this is it, right? Uh, almost everybody's had that feeling of being on a plane with a little bad turbulence, and you think, oh damn, this is it. I knew, I, I knew I shouldn't have flew, right? Mm-hmm. I knew it wasn't safe, and so it's that feeling of recent events in your mind that people go to, and the same thing in the market, you know. You have, a, you have a few bad days, people think the bottom's going to drop out because for whatever reason. So they don't, they don't come to buy when they should be buying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would tell that 25-year-old person, take 10 to 15% off the top. 
Don't even let it touch your pocket. If you can set up an automatic withdrawal, whether it be from your checking or whether it be from your payroll through your 401k, if, you're, if your company offers one, or just to your savings account because maybe you're not comfortable with the market, right? Still take it off the top. If you could take 10 to 15%, you will be shocked at what that will be worth 15, 20, 30 years from now, right? And even if you're 50, at this time, 50 year old, a little bit different. Hopefully you've matured, you've gotten bumps up. You're in, your, you're in the peak of your earning, you know, uh, of your earning years. And so even then, you're still taking that off the top. You're just 15% of a lot more money, right? So you're saving a lot more money, but the principle is the same. Now your needs are different at 50 than they are at 25 because 25, you're still possibly looking to purchase a home. At 50, you've already owned a home for 20 years, let's just say, right? So the need is a little bit different, but the principles remain the same. Gotcha. But take it off the top. Take it off the top. Pay yourself first. Love it. What is, man, I'm just thinking, and even though, you know, I played played ball, had good money, made good, had fat checks, and I had, a, you know, my financial advisor. It still it was hard, man. I was getting a, looking at them <laughs> checks like, good Lord. <laughs> what can I spend? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> what type of, what am I going to buy today? And it's like, oh, my gosh. I, I look back at that whole experience, and I'm like, man, I, you know, even having a financial advisor, it's just, and I remember, but I do remember he saying, you know, Alex, for every dollar that you save, for every dollar that you save, 20 years from now or 15 or 20 years from now, that, that $1 is going to be 20. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. That, and that did kind of stick with me. And you know what? Everybody has a different moment where they uh, come to the realization that the power of saving and the power of seeing your um, assets grow or your 401k or your IRA or your savings account. And you know how hard you've worked to get it. But I always tell people that one, you're gonna be shocked at the amount that it's worth if it's invested and you're saving um, say 10% of your income for the sake of the example. In a short Mm -hmm. period of time, you'll be shocked at how much money you've saved. The second thing is, is that if you pay yourself first, you will always find a way to pay everyone else. There's never been a time in your life where you didn't find a way to pay your cell phone bill or you didn't find a way to pay your rent, right? I don't think mm-hmm. you had to borrow it. Maybe the t- you know, times were tough. And, and that doesn't mean that you're not check to check, right? But if you pay yourself first, I guarantee you, you will find a way to pay everyone else. You know why? Because you always have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you don't even have to think about that, right? You yeah. always have found a way to pay your bills. So pay yourself first. And I promise you, you'll still find a way to pay your bills. Mm. Love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I want to talk about, man, this, um, your ebook. Yes. And it's something that's, it, it, man, it, it's, it's, it's so like helpful and easy to read. And it's where you kind of show you, share your philosophy but can you talk a little bit about those, the seven key pillars? For sure. Yeah. For sure. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I, I never saw myself having, um, you know, a book. And I, I worked with um, a writer and an editor to basically help me put my thoughts on paper. 
you know, and uh, when it got down to it, you know, I wanted to find a way that I could convey, um, you know, what I wanted to say in the way that I wanted people to think about the financial industry um, um, through just these, these simple, these simple techniques, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I won't go down them in order, but I think that, um, I think that the basic of the seven pillars, the basis of them, they, they, they peanut butter across everyone, no matter where you're at in your life. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so the first one, you know, I always talk about having an equity strategy, right? Picking good stocks and bonds. So if you're going to invest, you know, if you're younger, obviously you should, you should be looking at stock. You shouldn't even be considering a bond. That's just my philosophy, right? Okay. Um, young people, we're looking for as much growth potential as possible. That is what we're looking for. We're not looking to protect anything. You don't have anything to protect. We're looking to, <laughs> accumulate, you know, we're looking to accumulate. So, you know, I always lead my young people um, to stock, you know, and I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in that. And so um, that's what I, what I, what I teach them about. The second thing that I talk about is, you know, don't go put all of your life savings in one position. And that second pillar is basically having like an asset allocation strategy. Once we get build up enough money from our stocks and we see this stuff grow, hey, let's diversify it out. Let's allocate it out to a way where we're going to start to minimize or take some risk out of the portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. And so you might have $10,000 now and we might split that up a couple different ways or a few different ways to, to you know, take some risk out of the, uh, the portfolio. And so, you know, basically all that means is as you accumulate more money, we might want to spread it out a little bit to minimize risk. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, third strategy in there is, Hey, as you start to make money milk and you know, this uncle Sam is at the front door. They knocking. They knocking. <laughs> you and can you duck know. down. You can <laughs> duck down and try to try to army crawl. <laughs> try to, like he, like he ain't going to see you. Yeah, right. Let me there. tell you who always gets paid is Uncle Sam. <laughs> you will right. not not pay Uncle Sam. And if you choose to not pay him, you're going to go to jail. <laughs> so uh, there's choices, right? So mm-hmm. I always say, but have a sound tax strategy. As you start to make more money and as you start to accumulate more assets, you know what it means. It means that he's going to be at the front door all the time trying to get a piece. So I always build portfolios where we block him out. Have a strategy and be prepared for that so that you're not giving all your, way, your money away to the government, okay? That's the, the overall thought process. 401k strategy is a fourth pillar. And that strategy is the biggest asset for most people throughout their life is either their home or their 401k, okay? And, but people turn their 401ks on and they never look at them again. They just keep adding to it. They say they take that 10, 15%, say they max it out. They started with the five investments and they keep the same five investments for 30 years. They never go back. They never make any changes. Well, you know, if you work with a good broker, your broker actually can have vision to your 401k and actively manage it, meaning make changes and as they need to be made when the economy dumps or an, an, uh, a sector becomes out of favor or something like that, you mm-hmm. make changes, right? Tweaks. And so, you need to have a strategy with your 401k. And it's not just 
throw the money in there and then look at it 20 years from now, right? You got to actively manage that too. So I talk about that in my ebook. Gotcha. Uh, number yeah, five. And, and by the way, mm-hmm. I want to have this in the show notes for, for everyone and how, is how you can get, how you can get this ebook. And so yeah. I'm going to have this in the show notes. You know, I have the, you know, your website, you know, we'll talk about that um, at the end. Yep. And it's, it's free. I want every, you know, I try to share the wealth with everybody, um, you know, because I want people to have a good future. Um, it's, you know, it's important. Um, my fifth strategy I talk about, and this is a big deal, especially if you're someone who has an entrepreneurial spirit, um, cash flow planning. Okay. How your money comes in and goes out is extremely important. And especially as a business owner, um, you know, I own several companies, even though I am, you know, you know, a broker and a, and a financial planner, you know, for 99.9% of my time, I also own several other companies. And cash flow is everything when you're trying to manage a business, when you're trying to manage a household, you know that which bills you uh, I got, I got to pay this now. And then there's some bills that, nope, I'm gonna get another check before that's due. So I'm gonna go ahead and manage this money and do something different. And when that other money comes in two weeks from now, I'll pay that bill, right? Mm-hmm. And so the way that you manage your cash flow allows you to make some different fi- t- types of financial choices and decisions. Or, you know, maybe you can save more money out of one check and you know you're going to have to sacrifice the other check in two weeks. So it's important to budget what I have now because I'm not getting anything on the back end of the month. So mm-hmm. I talk about that with people, um, especially as you get older and you have children's activities, college costs, right? Yeah. Your insurance bills are more because you got more to protect, you know, plus you're trying to save your own money in a, in a 401k and say you have a spouse, whether it's a, um, you know, a husband or a wife, maybe they don't work. You got to save some money for them too. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you have these different things that are going to attack your cash flow, And it's just important to understand how to manage it is, is the bottom line. And I talk about that in the ebook. Um, and this is my favorite though. Pillar number six. <laughs> This is my damn favorite. This, and this is the side hustle strategy. Side right? hustle. Side hustle. I am the type of advisor that I encourage my clients to have a side hustle. And what I mean by that is something that they're passionate about, right? Something that taps into that entrepreneurial spirit, right? I have a lot of highly compensated, super smart clients, way smarter than me right? Um, Some of these clients are doctorates. Some of them are, you know, presidents and VPs at Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies. And, you know, and I encourage them to have a side hustle. Some, a lot of people like real estate on the side. You know, I, like I said, I got three other companies on the side and your side hustle should be something that could potentially, if managed and, and, um, and cared for in the right manner, it could take you away from your corporate job. It might lead you to making more money on the side than you're making at your corporate job. And it might give you that ability to not be under the thumb of someone Mm -hmm. else's leadership, right? And so unlike a lot of advisors who may come to you and say, hey, Alex, I know you got your check, (laughs) <laughs> I, I know you, you got I know you got your little check <laughs> so I, I need you to give it all send, to me. Yeah, send it send it go ahead and send that over 
right? Send that over here. Yeah. I don't do that. I say, hey, yeah, I'm going to manage what, what needs to be there so that we get to our end goal, right? However, let's take some of that check and let's foster and, and, and put some, you know, maybe some teeth into something on the side, right? So don't give me all that money. Let's invest that in something that you're passionate about on the side. And let's see if we can, you know, make it grow. And I'll help you in that too, right? And so that's my favorite. And, and I say this because, and I don't say this to brag or boast, my side hustle, literally last year, pre-COVID, I did close to $2 million in side hustle revenue. Look at that. Okay, now I never thought that I, you know, that's a side I mean, hustle. That's my half. side. Yeah, that's yeah, what's know, up. And so, you know, close to two million dollars. And when I started it, you know, the first year, which was in 2016, I did about fifty-eight thousand dollars in revenue. Uh, now, from 2016 to 2017, I went from fifty-six thousand to like 984,000. Oh. <laughs> and then in 2018, I did 1.1 uh, 1 million. And then in 2018 to 19, that's when I did just under $2 million. And mm. then COVID happened and whatnot. And we're still gonna do really, really well this year, but mm. you know, that's something, it doesn't take a lot of my time, which is important. If you have a side hustle, it cannot, affect your ability to do your primary job in the way that it, that it should be expected to be done, right? You can't have something that's tripping you up on your primary job to where now you're, you're failing on both ends, gotcha. right? Yeah. It, that's important. And so I work with my clients through that. I help them establish LLCs. I help them go through the process of, of getting, you know, the federal EINs and all those different types of things. So that's pillar number six. That's my absolute favorite. Yeah, like, hell yeah. I'd see why. Yeah, it's my I favorite. I like that one. <laughs> and, 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 and I, I, I'm very passionate about that. And, um, you know, so people that work with me, they're surprised a lot when I'm saying, hey, I don't want all your money. You know, I want to get to know you and see what you're passionate about because I want to help you do some stuff outside of just these stocks and bonds, right? Yeah. So, um, so that's different from, from a lot of advisors. Yeah, that's pretty my, cool. Yeah, but my seventh one is, is, you know, once we've made a bunch of money and we will do that, <laughs> it, you know, you got to have a good estate plan. How do you want all this stuff that you've worked your whole life for and sacrificed for to pass on to your heirs, your children, charities, um, you know, your, your family members. And so I make sure that all this stuff that we're accumulating, that it's not going to get ate up by lawyers and Uncle Sam. And so we make sure that we plan for um, when it's time for you to go home and see the man upstairs mm -hmm. that what you've worked for goes to where you want it to go and how you want it to go there. So that's the estate plan and that's the seventh pillar. But, you know, I summarize all those up in an easy layman term so people can understand that, hey, this business isn't that it isn't that complicated. You know, mm -hmm. people try to get down into the weeds and talk about standard deviations and you know, correlation coefficients and in all these other betas and, you know, and yeah. I'm like, hey, we can do that, but don't nobody really care about that. I can't remember, I've never had a client once ask me what the beta on their portfolio is. Right. <laughs> right? 
What they care about is how much damn money did you make me or how much did I lose? <laughs> and that's that right. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, man, those man, that's that's great. You know, you have a uh an easy tool because I'm always I'm I'm thinking about my listeners and how you know, I can have my guests, how can they affect them in a most positive way? What type of tools you can, my, my guests can give them. And that's, that's, that's a great tool. So I want to make sure, um, you know, we add that, that'll go into the show notes, but I also want to, uh, you to kind of share, how can my listeners get more of you? Uh, website, social media, give it up. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's interesting that you asked that because um, I've been a little bit radio silent on social media and, um, you know, people say, Hey, you know, we haven't seen you put anything out for a while or whatnot. And I did, you know why? Because I want to be purposeful on what I put out there. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I, and the reason that I say that is because if you are a person that is living a purposeless life, that literally can be defined as a living hell, <laughs> mm. right? If, if you live a purposeless life, you are living a living hell. So what is your purpose? That'd be hard to get up. It in is. The morning. It yeah. is. And so, and, and, and what I found on social media is that people don't do social media with a purpose for the most part, right? You get a lot of highlights. And if, if, if everybody had to tell their real story on social media, there would be no social media. Hmm. Think about that. You had to tell the truth. You had to tell the, come, come, tell the come truth. With it. Come with it. Come with it. Tell the truth. There would be no social media because wouldn't nobody want to hear all that? Right? Nobody want to hear about your problems. We got our own problems. So, you know, you're right. So, so the, I say that to say that I have a whole new media campaign that is being launched and, um, and it will be actually being launched within the last week of this year where I will start to put out content, but it's content with a purpose. It's content that is useful. It is content that is motivational and it's content that will actually break down barriers to let people understand that what they might think of this industry which is the stock market, right? Everybody's always like, oh my gosh, Wall Street's a problem for the world, right? Yeah. It's not what they think, right? It's not as complicated as they think. It's actually quite simple. But in our industry, we've built it up to make it look so complicated, right? You know what it, you know how it is, Alex. If somebody, if you get into an argument with somebody and you come to them and you're calm and you say, hey, look, you wronged me. I don't appreciate it. And, and, you know, we need to handle this. Right. And then they get loud. Ah, I ain't all you, you know, I'm offended. Right. Yeah. That loudness is just a mechanism to deflect from the real problem. Right. And they yep. get off on tangents, right. It gets loud, it gets chaotic and you get caught up in the noise. And now you don't even know what you came to talk to this person about. You know, you're like, how did I get over here? I came to talk yeah. to you about this one thing, but you got loud. And then I got passionate too. So now I'm loud, right? Yeah. Now we're yeah. way down B Street. <laughs> <You> <laughs> when we want, I want to be on A Street. Right. <laughs> and so 
that's how my industry is. You see it on the news. You see it, people arguing. You see you got the bears. You got the bulls. You got the this. You got the that. And everybody gets caught up in the loudness, in the noise. Well, shit. The bottom line is you need to save money, regardless of if the market's going up or down. You need to save. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's going to give you the comfortability or provide you with comfort to put your money somewhere where you feel comfortable doing it for a long period of time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where it becomes a habit. And so the content that you'll see coming out from me on social media will be purpose-driven content, content to help people understand what truly is happening in my world. And hopefully it's content that uh, reduces the fears of putting their money to work, right? Uh, Let me tell you this, Alex. You don't have a choice. Mm. Either you save or you live with your mama. (laughs) Right? Either you you save or you become a burden to your children. Right? And guess what? Your children don't want you living with them as much as they love you. I guarantee you don't want your mom and your daddy living at your house right now. <laughs> and you love your parents. I do. I do. Both of them. You, you do not want your daddy at your house. I do not. His feet on your table. Oh, my goodness. Have you waiting on him? Because. Uh-uh. At the end of the day, you're still that person's child, right? So you yeah, yeah. get from your parents. That's yeah. the way it goes. So I tell people, hey, you don't have a choice. Save it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to, because if you don't, you're gonna be living with your son or daughter, or you're gonna be living with your parents. That, that's a new that's a new perspective. Yeah. You tell them that, they'd be like, Oh, oh, I'm gonna be a saving mofo. Right. Or <laughs> you're gonna work till you're 90. That's okay too. Right? Some yeah. people some people work until they can't work no more. They die at the desk. I'm gonna tell you what I ain't is someone who's willing to die at the desk. Mm. It ain't a desk I've ever sat at that made me feel like I wanted to die on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so people, people will find me on social media. I'm at, you know, on, on Instagram, I'm at TWM underscore wealth on on you know on on Facebook I got TWM wealth also so everything is around here the wealth management but um you know I'm excited uh um about the new stuff that'll be coming out the cool stuff thing about it is you're actually in some of it which hey there you go there you go yeah <laughs> so uh um, oh, that's cool and, and and your website t is twmwealthmanagement.com Yep, www.twm, Tom William Mary, wealthmanagement, all written out, dot com, twmwealthmanagement.com. And at that, you'll be able to get my ebook and you'll be able to see, you know, what our core principles are and how we work with people. Love it. Love it. Hey, is there any more tips, man? You, you've dropped seven big ones. Yeah. Is there anything else? I like to scrape the plate, make sure all my listeners, they get the most out of my... Uh, my guess. You know what? Have fun. Um, I really have fun in what I do. Um, and uh, everybody thinks that, you know, in our industry, we only work with these high net worth people. And, and there's some truth to some of that. But 
you know, I work with a lot of people. I work with a lot of kids that are in their 20s, believe it or not. If someone has the desire to accumulate wealth, and that starts, it could be starting with saving $10 a month. It could be $25 a month. People say, what's the minimum in order to work with you? Well, there isn't any minimum. If you, if there ever becomes a point where I feel like I care more about your money than you do, then we're not a good fit. I work with people based on fit, not how much money they have. I don't come from anything, right? So what makes me or gives me the right to tell somebody else who grew up like I grew up that they shouldn't have access to what I have access to? That's not fair. Hmm. And, and I'm all about exposing people. Like had I had exposure to people that live in Westland like you and I live and know that people were, were living in these these, these amazing homes and these amazing communities and having these amazing experiences. I wonder how it would have changed my mindset or shaped the trajectory of my life and the way that I viewed the world, right? And I, my goal is to provide exposure to the investment world, reduce barriers to, to people getting in. The water's warm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I have this thing, I'm saying, hey, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Let's Pull go. your own damn chair up and sit at the damn table. Hey, you can't tell me I can't be here. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, yeah. hey, they don't give you a seat at the table. This will be my message to your listeners. Bring a folding chair. And love sit it. down and take it all in. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, man, there's a lot. There's a lot there. And I don't want you to miss it. Yeah. Well, man, I, hey, I appreciate you being a guest on the Shark Effect. Um, I, I tell you what, you know, you're talking about have fun. i tell you one thing, you ain't going to have fun is next time I come over to your house, you come to mine and we bring out these dominoes. That's one thing that ain't going to happen. And there's going to be one of us having fun and that's going to be me. So, oh, so thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Hey, I'm, I'm definitely going to have you on, have you on again. <laughs> Definitely gonna have you on again, my man. But I appreciate you, man. Love you like a brother, and um, yeah, yeah. We gotta make we'll sure we link up again for sure. And you know what? I'm I'm so thankful and I'm humbled that you were willing to have me on, and I appreciate it. And and you know what? I'm truly inspired by you, uh, Milk, because not everyone has the ability to go and just jump off the high dive head first into a podcast. And it is, man, it's a testament to uh, your belief in your own abilities. And, you know, people love you. We love to listen to you. We love to hear what you have to say. And I, I know that you say things with a purpose. And, and, and what even made me willing and, I'm, and, and excited to come on your show is the fact that you don't do anything or say anything that you truly don't believe. And that's inspirational. Um, And there ain't a lot of people out there like that. And you're also someone who has been willing to be humble enough to be vulnerable in front of thousands of people. And there's not a lot of people who are willing to take that risk in saying, hey, it might not be perfect, but you know what? I'm gonna do it anyway, right? And so thank you for having me on. I'm a guest in your house, so I'm not gonna comment on the domino comment. 
I'm, I'm gonna let that go because I'm a guest in your home and I want to be able to come back to your home. So <laughs> leave it at that. Thank well, you. I, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. You know, it, it's funny being booed by 60,000 people, it can do something to you. <laughs> it can make your skin pretty, pretty damn thick. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I've been booed by 60,000 people plus. Right? And I did it for eight years. So, <laughs> oh, my man. man. Thanks for having me, man. You it's got it, champ. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Shark Effect Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for High Achievement. You can get it on Amazon and the uh, paper paperback version or you can get it on kindle and who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking to transition what whether you was an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever if you're looking to transition into something different this book can help you I break it down. I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you got to understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making, that can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter developing your own procedures creating relationship roadmaps using adversity to your advantage right because we all go through tough times but how do you flip it how do you use it to power you okay and then developing your own standards so these are things that can help anybody not just not just athletes now there's some stories in there you know, that covers topics that, that resonate with athletes. But I think overall, this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. Okay, so make sure, check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.